uh, the most famous sermon I would say that's ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has this, uh, has this line. He says, um, if, you had a, if you had a son and your son asked for bread, what would you do? How would you respond? Would you give him a stone? You say to him, here, son, if you chew really hard, you'll find the mushy marshmallow filling in the middle. Trust me, it's got to bite hard enough. Or if you asked for, if you asked for a, a fish, would you give him a snake? I mean, if, you're, if your child asks you for good things, you want to give them those good things, right? I mean, anyone who has a kid understands that, that you find joy in giving your kids joy. And then Jesus says this. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? How do you like that? Jesus is really blunt. You are evil. Your heart's harbor wicked thoughts. Your love is naturally, inevitably distorted and twisted to some degree or another. And yet, and yet you know how to give good gifts to your children. And look at who God is. Look at what he is like. Psalm 92 says the Lord is upright. He's my rock. There is no wickedness in him. God is good. He's holy. He's, he's holy good. And so if we give good gifts, how much more does the Father want to shower us with his blessings, to, to be generous, to pour out good gifts to his children? And that's what we're talking about these weeks here at, at the Bridge Church. We are talking about the way that God, by the Holy Spirit, gives good gifts to his children, that he eagerly desires to bless us, to make us a blessing. And these gifts that he gives us maybe aren't the ones that we most naturally want or, or even expect. It's not like a new Tesla or the Maple Leafs ever winning a playoff series. That was a little, just, just salt in the wound for the three of you who are Maple Leafs fans. <laughs> but but it's, not, it's, not, it's not material possessions. It's not favorable circumstances. The gifts that he primarily wants to give us are empowerments for service. They are the means by which we can accomplish God's purposes. It's God's unmerited, unearned goodness working in and through us. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the passage we're going to look at today, Paul gives us some specific ways, some specific gifts that God gives by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about what those mean. And we'll also ask some questions about which gifts are available to us today and, and who they're available to. So let's pray and then get into it. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much, Lord, for the time of worship we, we just had and Lord, for the reminder that you are good. Lord, for the reminder that, that, that the name of Jesus has power, Lord, to break through the darkness. The reminder, Lord, that, that, that hope overcomes, hope in Christ overcomes the darkness. I pray, Lord, for my friends here today that as we spend time in your word, that you would continue to make yourself known, that you would continue, Lord, to work in our hearts. Give us the... Give us the perspective we need in the world as we find it. Lord, help us to become more and more filled by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 11 is where we are today. Paul says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines." Now, before we look at these specific gifts, I want to reiterate what I said last week, which is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not about you and me. They're not about our status. They're not about us putting on a show for others. They're all about Jesus through and through. We read that they are from the Lord, that the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Who is it given by? Well, it's given by God. They come from Him. It's God who works in them and through them. We read again and again in this passage that it's by means of the Spirit. Verse 11, they are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and they're for Him as well. We looked last week at verse 3 and how one of the best tests of authenticity when it comes to spiritual gifts is whether Jesus is exalted. So they're from him, by him, for him. It's all about God through and through. It's Like I said before, it's his unmerited, unearned goodness working in and through us. So let's look at some of these specific ways. And, and we'll, so we'll go through them and explain a little bit what Paul means by each one. He starts out by talking about the gift of a, a message of wisdom and a message of knowledge. We'll, we'll take those two together. Um, there's, there's two main schools of thought on this. The one school is, is a bit more contextual in 1 Corinthians. Because for the Corinthians, me, uh, uh, knowledge and wisdom were really big deals. The Corinthians were, were deeply influenced by Greek ways of thinking. We talked about that last week. It was really important to them that they appeared wise in the eyes of the world. And here's Paul talking about the message of the cross. This message that a crucified man is at the center of God's redemptive purposes. Like we said last week, you don't tell people that and they go, well, yeah, obviously that makes sense. No philosopher, Greek or otherwise, is going to come to this on their own. And yet Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 1, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It says a few verses later that the, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. That the message of the cross is true knowledge and true wisdom. And so the gift then, in this way of thinking, the gift of the message of knowledge or, or wisdom would be the insight to know how to apply the message of the cross, this upside down wisdom of God, into everyday situations. You'd see that worked out in preaching or, or teaching or even one-on-one -on -one counsel where you are given insight from God about how the message of the cross works itself out in this particular life. So that's one way of thinking. Another school of thought sees these gifts as being words of revelation given to somebody that they would not otherwise know. And for the purpose of, of maybe showing somebody who Jesus is, building them up, that kind of thing. So you see this kind of thing in the Bible. For example, in John chapter 4, where Jesus meets this, this woman at the well in Samaria. And he tells her, he's never met her before, but he tells her, you've been married five times. The man you're living with now is, is not actually your husband. That's like a word of, of revelation that he really naturally should not have any way of knowing otherwise. Maybe you even see this in Acts 10. We looked at this a, a little while back where the Spirit tells 
Peter that some men are at the door, that he's to go with them because he's got something to say to them. So giving him some kind of information and knowledge ahead of time. In this way of thinking, the message of, uh, of wisdom would be what someone should do going forward. It's, it's the instruction. It's like 2020 foresight. This is what you need to do going, going forward. And then the, uh, the message of knowledge would be more like present tense. It would be more the, the, in, the information, more like this is what's happening right now. Here's a, here's a contemporary, a more contemporary example of what I mean. This is a little uh, segment of a testimony by a woman named Lacey Sturm. And she was uh, deeply troubled. She was, in fact, suicidal. And she was planning on taking her life this one day. And then her grandmother just badgered her about going to church. So she said, fine, I'll go to church. You know, I, don't, I hate church. I'll go, I'll, whatever. I'll go there just to make you happy. But she had planned on actually taking her life right afterwards. And this is, uh, this is her story about what happened at church that day. <clears throat> I was sitting in the back of the church, slouched down in my chair with my arms crossed, and the preacher began to speak, and everything he said was straight to my heart, like I was the only person in the room. And he stops in the middle of what he's saying, and he says, there's a suicidal spirit in the room, and God wants you to know that he loves you. All the hair stood up on the back of my neck. I was like, this is just really freaking me out. I gotta get out of here. I got up and went towards the door after he dismissed the church and a man grabbed me by the arm and he was a white-headed old man and he said, God wants me to speak to you and he wants you to know that even though you've never known an earthly father, that he will be a better father to you than any earthly father could ever be. He said, he's seen you when you cry yourself to sleep at night. And when he said that, it really shook me because I cried myself to sleep every night since I was 10 years old. If I didn't cry, I couldn't sleep. But he said he sees you when you cry yourself to sleep at night and he loves you so much and he sent his son Jesus to die and bleed on a cross to take all of the pain that you're experiencing on himself so you don't have to experience it. And so he put his hand on my shoulder and began to pray. And he said something like, God, I pray that you would wrap your arms around your daughter and let her know how much you love her. In my life I searched for something to satisfy the longing in my heart. Yeah. So this, this older man in the church should have had no way of knowing, first of all, that she had never had an earthly father or that she cried herself to sleep every night. And yet this was something that God revealed to this, to this man in this moment that he then spoke to Lacey Sturm and, and also explained this is what the cross means for you. So in some ways you see both of those kind of aspects of this being worked out and, and it, it brought this, this woman to faith in Christ. So which of those is it? Is, is the message of wisdom and knowledge? Is it, is it more about applying the wisdom of the cross and the knowledge of the cross? Or is it more about this word of revelation? I don't think it really matters what title we give those because I think both of those are ways that the Holy Spirit works. Both of those are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives in circumstances. The next gift that Paul talks about is the gift of faith. 
And what you need to understand here is that there are different kinds of faith. There's, there's saving faith. It's the, it's the faith that, that, tr- that Jesus has died for us, that our sins are forgiven in his name. And, and that's the kind of faith that every believer in Jesus, by definition, has. There's also what we could call sanctifying or continuing faith, where you trust in Jesus on a day-to-day basis. Again, something that every believer should be, should be exercising. But there's this, this other kind of faith that, seem, that Paul seems to be referring to here, which is like this, this conviction, this deep conviction that God is going to move in a particular way in this situation. So you see this in, uh, in Acts 3, for example, where Peter and John are, are walking along and they, they, see this, they see this man, this lame beggar by the temple and they've passed by this guy over and over and over again and, and yet on no other occasion have they stopped and told him that he's going to be healed. But on this one day, we talked about this way back in the fall when we were in Acts, but this one day... They are convinced this man is going to be healed in the name of Jesus. It's like this gift of faith that's given them. It's like, um, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 too about, about faith that can move mountains. And he seems to be referring to Mark 11 where Jesus says, if anyone has faith, they can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea and, and it'll happen. Now, I don't know if you've tried to cast Mount Seymour into the Pacific Ocean recently, I don't think Jesus' point is, I, I don't know why you would need to. I don't know why that would need to happen. But I think the point that Jesus is making and, and Paul is making is that when, when the gift of faith is in operation, supernatural and miraculous things happen. Some people have, have suggested that uh, George Mueller really had this gift. George Mueller was... Uh, it's a guy in England in the 19th century. He had orphanages, had started orphanages that cared for 10,000 orphans in, uh, in England, in the London area. And uh, he would not know where the food or the resources was going to come from to, uh, to feed all these orphans. But he established these orphanages in, in, with this conviction that God was going to do this. And they would sit down for a meal. They didn't have food. They would sit down for a meal and they would pray and they would thank God for the food that was going to be provided. And by the time they'd finished praying, a knock would be at the door and all the food that they needed for all these orphans would, would be there. And this happened over and over and over again. Now, apparently, George Mueller, I, I, I've heard this before, and then I, I Googled George Mueller gift of faith, and there was a blog post uh, where they quoted George Mueller saying, I don't have this gift. So, I don't know, I, apparently not. But, but in any case, just be, in, in case you think, well, anyone with this gift should just be able to walk around like a superhero, altering reality at will, remember that it's given as the Spirit wills. It's, it's given in situations, in circumstances, like in Acts 3, where the Spirit intends to do something. It's not just something we go, I decide that I'm going to have faith for Mount Seymour to go in the Pacific. It's like a, a, a kind of a circumstantial kind of thing. And, and that leads into this next gift, which is the gift of, of healing. And actually, it's, it's plural. Uh, in, in the NIV that I read, it says gifts of, uh, what is it? the gifts of healing. But in the Greek, it's actually both of those words are plural. Gifts of healings. And what most scholars agree on here is that this means that it's not like one person has the gift of healing that can just be exercised anytime they want. Like, you know, if someone walks into a hospital and boom, you can all go home now because everybody's good. It doesn't work like that. Instead, every single gift, of every, every single healing is 
uh, a particular gift in that circumstance. And some people might be used in this way over and over again. Some people might be used in a particular way often. They might find themselves often praying for people's bad backs and, and often seeing healing in that way. Or it might happen like once or twice in your life, if at all. But it's not like one person just has the gift all the time whenever they want. You see this with Paul. Paul had a lot of these gifts that we're talking about. And, and, and Paul was used by God to heal people on occasion. In the book of Acts, he's on the island of Malta. There's this official named Publius. And uh, his father is deathly ill. And Paul goes in and prays for him. And, and the man is healed. Great. But then in the letter to Timothy, here's Timothy dealing with frequent illnesses. And what does Paul say? He doesn't pronounce healing. He says, have a little wine, Timothy. <laughs> Can't heal you outright, but, uh, you know, some cab sov might, might help you out a little bit. So he doesn't, he's, he's not somebody who's just being used like this all the time, right? And which also means that healing is not just something that if you have the right words, like if you figured out the magic formula, God is somehow contractually obliged to do what you say. Like, shoot, they figured it out. They figured out the magic words. Now I have to heal them. It doesn't work that way. Every healing is a particular gift as the Spirit wills. Here's a more contemporary example. Um, Sam Storm, both of the gift of healing and the gift of faith. Uh, Sam Storms is a pastor and author who's written a lot of good stuff on spiritual gifts. So you're going to be hearing this name more than, more than once, even today and, and in the series. But he talks about how he and uh, the elders at his church were asked to pray for this infant uh, boy in the church who had a severe liver disorder. And so they're praying for this boy. And and this is what Sam Storm says happened in that meeting. He says, I found myself suddenly filled with an overwhelming and inescapable confidence that he would be healed. It was altogether unexpected. I recall actually trying to doubt, but I couldn't. I prayed confidently filled with a faith unshakable and undeniable. And he says that the family wasn't so sure that this was going to happen, but, uh, but he, was, he was pretty certain because of what he was experiencing. And they took the, the son to a doctor the next day, and, and yeah, the, the boy was healed, and he's now in his late 20s. He's, in, he's a healthy man uh, 20, 25, 30 years later. So there you see how a gift of faith and healing was given to Sam Storms in that particular moment, in that particular circumstance, as the Spirit wills. And the next gift is is like that as well. Paul talks about the gift of miracles. And again, it's it's plural, meaning that every miracle itself is a particular gift. Um, Here, this this category of miracles would include uh, gifts of healings, but it's a broader term than that. It's, it's It's a bigger umbrella. So one New Testament scholar defines a miracle as a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. So uh, in Acts 5, where you've got um, Ananias and Sapphira who lie about how much money they're giving, and Peter knows this. You could probably see the gift of maybe a a word of knowledge there, uh, some kind of revelation that's given to Peter, and he kind of announces to them, hey, your your life has come to an end, and they, they fall over dead. Not the kind of thing most of us are praying for or wanting to be instrumental in, but a miracle nonetheless. In James 5, we read about the Old Testament prophet Elijah who prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years and it didn't. And then he prayed that it would and, and, and it started raining again. And I take it that somebody in North Vancouver has been uh, exercising this gift 
for the last nine months, and I think it's time to stop it, whoever that is. It's been praying for the miracle of rain every day since September. It's May now, it's done, we're good. But it's a, it's a miracle. I don't know about that, that's just North Vancouver, but, but these gifts are, are miracles in these particular circumstances. The sixth gift Paul talks about here is the gift of prophecy. And this is a huge one. Uh, We're going to talk about it a lot in chapter 14 because Paul there really talks about prophecy and tongues. Those are the two gifts he focuses on especially. But really quickly, uh, the gift of prophecy would have a lot to do with the second school of thought on the message of wisdom and knowledge. It's a word of revelation from God to a particular situation. Usually it's tailored to a particular concern that's, that's going on. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says that prophecy usually has the effect of strengthening or comforting or encouraging people, but it can also convict or warn people. So in, in chapter 14, Paul has this image of uh, corporate worship and some unbelievers come in and they hear people prophesying and they feel this deep conviction about their sin and, and, and the secrets of their heart are laid bare and they end up coming to faith in Christ because of it. It doesn't sound like a fun thing to have the secrets of your heart, all those things you've tucked away in the dark coming out, being laid bare, but that's what prophecy can do. It tells people, this is God, God is at work. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He's, he's a holy God. Prophecy can also warn. So in Acts 11, we talked about this a few weeks ago, there's a prophet in Jerusalem named Agabus and he gets up and he predicts that a severe famine is going to spread throughout the whole Roman world and it prompts this generous outpouring of of giving to help the believers in, in Judea. So what we see in all of this is that prophecy is meant to build up and, and strengthen the church, to draw people to God. That's, that's what prophecy does. Again, we're going to talk about that more in a couple of weeks. I'll share some more stories with you there. Next, Paul talks about the gift of distinguishing between spirits. And again, there's a couple of different ideas here. One is that this has to do with, with prophecy, that, uh, that, that this is kind of the, the uh, ability, the gift of discerning when prophecies are from the Lord or whether they're a human invention or worse. And we do need to do this. We need to discern words of, of prophecy. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Someone says the world's going to end next Tuesday. We should all go wait on top of Mount Cyprus. I'm okay with doing a hike to Mount Cyprus, but I think we're going to have to discern that word of prophecy, right? So it's something that we need to do. But the other, the other thing this could point to, and I actually think this is probably more likely, is that, is that it, this is about a, a kind of a spiritual sensitivity, an awareness of what's going on, uh, spiritually speaking. So this pastor in Lacey Sturm's testimony who kind of said, hey, there's a suicidal spirit in this room. I would think that that pastor is exercising the gift of discerning spirits. There was, obviously. That was her, that was her intention. I've, uh, I've heard a story of a pastor who was walking along on a prayer walk with, with other believers, and suddenly they felt this overwhelming kind of disorientation and, and nausea. They kind of all shared this. Like, what, why are we feeling this way? And they round a corner, and there on a school wall are spray-painted all kinds of satanic symbols and the remnants of occultic rituals kind of on the ground. And so they had felt this before they even saw anything, this kind of awareness that something more dark spiritually is going on. It's like this spidey sense almost 
Uh, Paul, in, in Acts 16, he's in, in Philippi, and there's this little uh, servant girl who's following him around and uh, saying, oh, this is a servant of the Most High God. But he realizes that there's something more happening here. And he turns around and says, holy, you know, not, sorry. He, he says to this girl, evil spirit, get out of her. Rebukes this spirit and, and casts it out of her. So it's kind of awareness of, of what's going on. And I think conversely, it's also an awareness of when the Holy Spirit's at work. A sensitivity to his presence and to his movement. And so this is actually a gift that, that, I, that I pray for, that I, that I desire for myself, that kind of spiritual sensitivity. The last two gifts we'll, we'll take together again. Paul talks about the gift of speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, uh, the Spirit gives the gift of interpretation of tongues. Again, we're going to focus on this a lot more in chapter 14. But, uh, but the gift of tongues is angelic speech or unlearned human languages that are spoken in praise and prayer to God. And because of that, they're not usually intelligible. People don't understand them. Even the speaker themselves does not understand what's being said in most situations. Things have been laid on their hearts. They're praying it out. They're expressing it. But they don't actually themselves know what it means unless they also have the gift of interpretation, which is this gift of understanding the content of tongues and being able to, to explain that to others. Now, as we said last week, this is the gift that the Corinthians have really grabbed onto. This is the one, and it's interesting how you see this being played out in church history, even in the last century in some Pentecostal churches. This is like the gift that people want, that people think you need to have, the gift that marks out spiritual superiority. And maybe there's a reason Paul puts it actually at the bottom of the list. Paul will say in chapter 14, tongues are great. He says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. Well, tongues competition, Paul's coming out on top. He wins the gold medal. But he says, because these, these, this gift is not usually intelligible, it doesn't build other people up in the same way that, that for example, prophecy does. And so this is a word for those who would still place this gift at the, this is what I want more than anything else. Now on the other side, to flip it, uh, R.T. Kendall is another solid writer who talks about the Holy Spirit and, and he makes this good point. He says that if you want gifts like prophecy or healing or those other things, he says, are you willing to start at the bottom? He says, you don't have to speak in tongues, but I think you must be willing to do this if indeed you desire all of God you can possibly have. And maybe that's a word for some of us who have been put off by what we have seen in uh, Pentecostal churches or other churches. We go, I don't want, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Well, if it's a gift of the Spirit, are you willing to receive it um, if you want to have everything God would have for you? Now, those are the gifts that Paul talks about in this, in this passage. But this is, not, this is not the comprehensive list of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. We, we don't even, it's, not even, it's not even the comprehensive gift, gift in, in, uh, in chapter 12. Paul, later on in the passage, talks, uh, gives another kind of list of gifts, and he includes some of these ones. But then he also talks about teachers and apostles and the gift of helping and guidance. In Romans 12, again, Paul uses some of these same gifts, but then includes ones like serving and encouraging and giving and leading and mercy. In 1 Peter, there's a reference to the gift of hospitality. In 1 Corinthians 7, there's the gift of celibacy, the most wanted and desired gift of all. Amen. That's, that's one of those tough ones. That's one of those tricky ones. 
But the point is, and, and you got a little, little chart here that kind of shows you in various places in the New Testament, we get different lists, different sets of, of descriptions of spiritual gifts. So the point here is not Paul going, it's not like the Enneagram, right? It's not like which of the nine types are you? Here are your nine options. Which one are you? It's not like that. Instead, uh, the, the point of all of these kinds of lists is that the Spirit gives generously. There are all kinds of ways, a myriad of ways in which the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church in order to build others up. Because as we said in the beginning, God is an incredibly generous God who eagerly desires to pour out his gifts on his people. It's not just figuring out which one of these nine you are. There's a myriad of ways in which the Spirit gifts the church. Now that raises a, a question about which of these gifts are available to us today. Because there's this long-running debate in theology, and this might surprise some of you, but Christians don't actually agree on everything. Once in a while, there's a disagreement. And so there are people who believe that they're, they're, this is called cessationism. People who believe that there are certain gifts, the more extraordinary gifts of the Spirit, they call them sometimes sign gifts, like prophecy and tongues and words of knowledge and wisdom and miracles and healing and those kinds of things. These more extraordinary gifts, they say, were really just given to the apostles in the first century as a way of kind of establishing and founding the church in the first century. And then once the New Testament was written, once the apostles had passed away, those gifts stopped being in operation. And when I was, uh, when I was, I think I was probably 19 years old, I wrote a paper in Bible college where I argued for cessationism, read it, and I was, yeah, yeah I'm gonna, I, I think this is the way to go. Now, as with most things, I believe that 19-year-old Craig was terribly wrong now. I just completely disagree with my 19-year-old self. I, I am fully, fully convinced that all of the gifts that Paul talks about are valid and in operation today as much as in the first century. And here are the reasons. Oh, yes, but I'll give you some reasons. Um, so, so first of all, cessationists believe that, that some gifts are still in operation, right? They don't think that the Spirit has stopped giving gifts altogether. They still believe that the Spirit gives gifts like leadership and, and preaching and giving and mercy and those kinds of things. They just think that these other gifts that they call sign gifts are, are no longer in operation. The problem is nowhere does the New Testament set certain gifts apart as sign gifts or extraordinary gifts versus others. And in the New Testament, these gifts are, are, are lumped together. There's no distinction being made. So why, why would we say arbitrarily kind of these gifts are out because we don't really understand them and they're a little bit freaky, but these gifts are still good to go when the New Testament itself doesn't make that distinction. Second, it's clear even in the New Testament that these gifts, even the more extraordinary ones, are not just limited to apostles but are given to a wide range of people. So in the book of Acts, we read that the seven daughters of Philip prophesy, for example. Third thing is that even if these gifts did serve the purpose of establishing the early church, that wasn't even the primary purpose that these gifts were given. What does Paul say right here? He's talking about all of these gifts that some people find a little bit freaky and that we're not comfortable with. But what does he say the purpose of them is? He says, for the common good. That's the point. And do, do we still need the common good today? I, I would say so. 
Does the church still need to be built up and encouraged today? I would, I would say so. So if that purpose is still very much in play today, then why would God just take a bunch of gifts out of commission that serve that purpose? Fourth, and, and maybe actually most importantly, is that I actually don't think that there's a strong biblical case that can be made for cessationism. The one passage that's often pointed to is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 10, which says that some of these gifts, like prophecy and tongues, will cease when perfection comes, when completion arrives. Do you think that completion has arrived? you think that we're in perfection right now? For the last 2,000 years? It doesn't feel like it to me. I, some people would say that this is a reference to the completion of the New Testament. I, I think this is far more likely a reference to Jesus' return. That when Christ comes back and establishes the new heavens and earth, and when we see him face to face and all sin is removed, we won't need to prophesy, we won't need to speak in tongues, we won't need messages of revelation and knowledge. But until that day, the Spirit gives these gifts for the building up of the church. And fifth would be the witness of the church actually through the ages. You know, reading, reading church leaders in the second and third century who said, no, these gifts are still with us. We still have people prophesying. We still have people speaking in tongues. You see this gift all the way through. Even a guy like, like Charles Spurgeon, who apparently was a, a self-proclaimed, like he, he apparently would have said he was a cessationist, but he would be in the middle of a sermon and he would point to somebody he had never met before and he would say, you worked last Sunday and you took a profit of nine pence and you know, whatever. Like he's just like naming this and the guy's like, whoa, this is my first time in church. I've never met this guy before. What is going on? And the guy repents and, and uh, you know, comes to faith in Jesus. So Spurgeon is very clearly operating in the gifts of the Spirit. And he goes, no, no, the gifts of the Spirit don't, don't work today anymore. So I, gotta, I hate to do this, but I disagree with Charles Spurgeon um, about this. You see that the witness of, of these gifts of the Holy Spirit through the ages from the first century to the present. We could say a lot more about this, but my point is that I believe that every gift of the Spirit is as available today as it was in the first century that every gift is as capable of building up the church today as it was in the first century because God is just as generous and eager to bless his people in, with gifts today as he was in the first century. Amen? Amen? And you think that's the end of the sermon, but it's not. There's more. Because there's another question, another question that arises here, which is, who are these gifts available for? Who gets these gifts? Well, Paul says it right here in, uh, in verse 7. He says, now to each member of a Pentecostal church, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for... No. To each one. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Verse 11, all these are, wor are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one. Not just, not just apostles, not just men, not just people over 30, not just Pentecostals, not just extroverts, to each one, everyone, if you are a follower of Jesus, is gifted by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of building up the body as a whole. We're going to talk about that a lot next week with the whole body image. But, but everyone 
And some people, like some, some gifts that you receive, as we've kind of said before, as we were just saying, uh, they, they might just be occasional. It might just be in a particular circumstance or, or situation. Some gifts might be given for a season. Other gifts are more permanent. They, they, they kind of stay with you. Gifts like leadership or, or mercy or preaching, these kinds of things, you probably continuously operate in them. So there's a wide variety of gifts, but everyone is going to receive gifts by the Holy Spirit. And it's not just one. We were watching the Disney movie Encanto a little while back. Maybe some of you have seen this movie. Uh, everyone in the family, Madrigal, gets a, gets a gift it uh, gets, gets a revelation of their special ability when they reach a certain age. So someone can change shapes and forms. Someone can communicate with animals, that kind of thing. But it's like the one gift that you get at a certain age. That's not how this works. It's not like, again, the Enneagram or a personality type, your pigeonhole, this is what you are. Look at a guy like Paul. Paul had all kinds of gifts, operated with all kinds of gifts. You're not just limited to one gift because, again, guess what? God, the Father, is really, really generous. And he eagerly desires to pour out his gifts on his people to make them a blessing. Now, before, you, before we kind of end here, I, I don't want you to go from here and go, that was all great, but I have no idea what gifts God has given me. I don't, even, I don't know how to even move forward from this. There are, there are spiritual gifts assessments, and I've used some of them. I've provided some of them. We might make, I put a few links in the newsletter this week. And those, those can be helpful. Those can be insightful to some extent. Uh, I'd say a better way is probably to ask people who you know well how they experience God uh, blessing them through you, how they experience God working through you and, and speaking through you. But I, I agree with what uh, Sam Storms says on this. He uh, he cautions us against getting too introspective and again, pigeonholing ourselves in one gift or the other. He says this, as we spend less time obsessed with some introspective search to identify our spiritual gift or gifts and more time actually praying and giving and helping and teaching and serving and exhorting those around us, the likelihood greatly increases that we will walk headlong into our gifting without ever knowing what happened. So go out and pray for the sick. See what happens. Ask God for a word or an image to bless somebody. Step out in a, in a, new, in a new opportunity to lead or to serve in the church. You know, give and, and just watch how God makes that a blessing. Just, just do, do the stuff, you know? Go and, 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 and serve God and, and, and maybe you'll just walk headlong into your gifting without even knowing what happens. Some people go, well, this is my one gift and I can't do anything else. Try some different things. See what God does. Again, the bottom line in all of this is that if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. You're part of his family. He's a good father who loves to bless you, loves to give you gifts. You are not meant to just sit there passively receiving ministry. As a, as a pastor, my job, my role is to equip you for your work of ministry. You are ministers. You have been given gifts. You are not to sit there passively. You are to use your gifts to build up the church. John, yeah. 
John Wimber, who the Spirit used to bring renewal to millions, he had this great phrase. I love this phrase. He said, everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play. You get to play. You get to be part of this. God has given you gifts to bless you and make you a blessing. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good because our God is an abundantly, incredibly generous Father. Amen. So Jesus, we want to ask that you would make us alive in your body, that we would not have parts of the body that are in atrophy because they're not being used, but that every single one, Lord, in the church would be exercising the gifts that you have given them. Lord, asking and seeking for those gifts, trying new things, serving in all kinds of ways because God, this is your good pleasure as a father who loves us and has, has poured out generously, Lord, to us forgiveness of sins, the reconciliation to you, the fullness of the spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you are so generous and we desire, Lord, to use what you have given us well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us at the Bridge Church in this way. If God has spoken to you through his word, or if you're wanting to reach out to pray, or just wanting to know more about our church, access our website. There you can connect with us and also have access to other contents. We are a church that lives to know Jesus Christ personally and to make him known. We believe he is the hope of the world and wants to give you hope as well. We believe the best news ever has come in and through him. May you know him more and make him known today. We'd love to hear from you.